so that smell kind of wafts in here. Um, wafts? Wafts? Wafts. Is it really wafts? That's not colloquial. That's actually, it really is wafts, not wafts. I am 40 years old. I had no idea that it was wafts. Waft. Is it a hard T at the end? Yeah. Waft. I, okay, I'm just saying, I'm... In Nebraska, it wasn't, but we also had ambulances and chimneys, and <laughs> on occasion you'll hear me say, "I've seen that," because that's also very Nebraskan. Um, so today is exciting. Uh, there's also, and here's what we're thinking. So there's it's the Teeman uh, Village versus the Heslip Village in a kickball death match. Now the problem is. The problem is, is that half the Heslop village is out of town. So there's, there's an idea. I just want to float it out there because I'd love sometimes, I mean, who doesn't like to relive eighth grade, right? Unless you're in eighth grade. And, but I think we should line everybody up against the wall and, and pick teams. Do they still do, they still do that in, in public schools? Oh, it's humiliating. It's because it, I was generally get the, the last or second to the last. It was Lori Pearson and me. And Lori would actually usually be last because they'd usually get down to Lori and me and they'd say, uh, okay, you take Lori, we'll take Tyler, at least he's funny. And then so I'd have to go in and, um, <laughs> so I'd like you to relive some of mine and you jocks in eighth grade that got picked first. I want to know who you were because we're picking you last today. <laughs> I'm, I'm picking teams. Oh my goodness. If you would open your Bibles to the book of, um, oh boy, where do we start? How about the book of Hosea? Isn't that exciting? You don't get that one very often. And then let's pray. God, we ask that um, we, we want to encounter you today in your, in your word. Um, as we approach your word, we are always... It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And so we want to, we want to encounter you in your scriptures. We want to see what your word would have for us personally, not just collectively, not just because I like the sound of my own voice, but for you, Lord, to speak to us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, holidays, um, I, it doesn't seem like they're what they used to be. I don't know, I say used to be, I'm 40. You know, if you're 60, maybe you say the same thing about the way that we celebrated it when I was growing up. But they were, like, we, it was awesome. Like, when we were growing up, 4th of July was it. And I, what I remember um, when I thought back, I was thinking, what, do I, what is the, the one Fourth of July holiday that I remember the most? And it was 1979. I was eight years old, and it was Fourth of July week, and the Tyler boys had gone to the Millrace Pond. Now, every small town in America has probably one of two things. One, you've got some um, river that has been dammed up to create a lake, and there is a story about divers that would go down to fix the dam and encounter catfish that were the size of cars. Do you guys have that one in your town? And then there was also the pond that would have some sort of lore of, uh, of a boy that had drowned or some. It was scary, and it was deep, and, and ours was the Millrace Pond. And the reason it was scary was because there were snapping turtles the size of car tires. And I'm not, well, I'm kind of exaggerating, but not really. This, they would go, you would go and fish at this place and catch what are called bullhead. Do you know what I'm, do you know what bullhead are? 
They're like catfish's ugly little cousin. They're like this little worthless fish that the little kids can catch while the daddies are catching the real fish, right? Because you can catch them like a nickel at a time. And so we're down at the, the Millrays Pond, and we are catching bullhead like crazy. And, and the reason that I was scared of the Millrays Pond was this, this stringer started being pulled really tight, like, thinking, what the world's going on? And so I'm eight years old, and I'm, I'm pulling out the stringer. And out comes a snapping turtle. And I, I don't know, the size of a car tire. I, all I know was he was as surprised to see me as I was to see him. But his surprise, he reacted differently. My surprise involved me screaming. His involved him charging me, going, ah. And so, I mean, I literally soiled myself and ran <laughs> like an eighth grader. And, and so, so that's the, that's the water of the Millrace Pond, okay? And I'm eight years old. And we get into this little boat. Now, this is a terrible idea. It's, it's honestly amazing. The way that we protect our kids these days, fascinating. What my, I literally, I would check in with my mom at like, I don't know, five in the morning or six. We'd get up and we'd drive out on the railroad tracks or go somewhere. And we'd show up sometime around dinner time. No cell phones, no checking in, no nothing. And, and this is the kind of stuff that we would do. So now I'm thinking, man, I'm running, there's a reason I'm not letting my kids do this because they do dumb stuff like I did. But so we get into this little rowboat and it's me and Travis Butler and Freddie Butler and my brother Dale. And we're floating on this rowboat on the Millrace Pond, which is, as far as I know, infinitely deep and full of snapping turtles. And, you know, they're trying to rock the boat to scare the little guy because it's really funny because I'm the eighth year old and my brother's, I think, 10 or 11. And it's funny to scare the kid. And, so they dumped me off because I'm like, at this point, I'm just kind of done. I'm like, I got to get out. I'm freaked out. I'm scared. I'm eight. And they dumped me off on the side of the bank by a, 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 tr a railroad track bridge that went over the pond. And, and this is where there's a discrepancy in the story, by the way, because if you ask my brother, he tells me that he pointed me, said, if you get on these railroad tracks and go back that way, then you'll get back to town and you'll, you'll be able to get home. Now, the discrepancy is, is I think he pointed that way because that's the way I went. And I went uh, for a long ways that way. And I eventually get to a river bridge. Now I'm eight and I'm thinking, I should have been thinking, oh, wait a minute, there's no river between here and town, but no. <laughs> I cross the river bridge. <laughs> and I am so lost, I have completely lost my way. The irony being that I was on the right path going the wrong direction. And all I had to do was turn around, but I didn't. I kept going. And by this point, I am eight years old. I am crying, and I am making deals with God, okay? Kid you not. God, I'll serve you for the rest of my life if you'll just help me get home. And yeah, I know. But, and, I was, and I was genuinely terrified. And eventually, I get uh, somewhere out way into the country, and... And I decide, brilliant move, I'll turn around and go the other direction. Now, the theory, I mean, I should have done that immediately, right? Wait, I'm at the Republican River. This is not the way out. But I'm eight. I don't think that way. And as I turn around, I see this house over in the distance. And I'm like, oh, I could get help. And so I run through this field. I'm eight years old. I'm basically Lauren's age, right? You know, and, and I'm through this field. And by now, I've got like burrs all up and down my pant legs. And, and this nice little old lady answers the door. And she says, what, young man, can I help you? And, and I say, oh, ma'am, I'm so lost. I, you know, I need to go home. My, Clarence Tyler is my father. I don't know, whatever you say when you're eight and you're lost. You know, I'm saying that kind of stuff. And, 
And she says, oh, you just, you're just in time. I was just getting ready to leave to go into town to get my hair done. Because old ladies get their hair done. They don't, you know what I mean? They just, and so, at least in Nebraska they do, right? And so they, and they, they do. It's like, done. And, and so she goes, so she offers me an ice cold, I'll never forget it, an ice cold Coca-Cola. Can I get you an ice cold Coca-Cola, young man? I'm like, yes, ma'am, I would like an ice cold Coca-Cola. And it was the best Coca-Cola I've ever had. Like, to this day, the best one I've ever had. And she takes me back into town the way that I should have gone to begin with. And I go home, and I'm watching, like, Scooby-Doo. And before long, the phone rings, and it's my brother, who's in, I mean, a panic because they have no idea where I am. I guess the original, I was supposed to meet them back at Freddie Butler's house, and so, and I didn't. So they're, all they know is that they are 13 levels of in trouble because they have lost me. <laughs> and by now, I'm like, I'm home. I've had the ice-cold Coca-Cola. I'm eating Cheetos and watching Scooby-Doo. I had no idea there was a drama unfolding. And, and that was my 4th of July, 1979. <laughs> so, um... I had lost my way going the right, on the right path, going the wrong direction. And I was thinking about it this week as far as, you know, our nation in general. I mean, our holidays are supposed to be moments of remembrance, right? Moments to, almost like markers to say, hey, you're on the right path. To remember that this is what we do. And, and, and you know, Memorial Day, I mean, that is, that's a holiday now that's just like, great. We get a three-day weekend. Awesome. No mail comes today. I mean, we, we begin to lose the value of the holiday of what it was originally intended for. I mean, when we were little, my mom would load us up in the car, and we'd, she'd get flowers from the peony bush. Do they call them peonies down here? Peonies? Well, the, wa- the peonies had wafted in. and <laughs> So we'd load up, and she'd have these little, every year we'd go put the flowers on the graves of, of the veterans, and we would remember those that had given lives. And again, now it just feels like it's a three-day weekend, right? I mean, uh, Columbus Day, we don't even talk about it anymore because God forbid that we would acknowledge that a European had come here and, and had found this country a, with a Christian. You know, we, we don't want to... <laughs> props to the European in our crowd this morning. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, let, I mean, obviously Christmas. We go to New York, it's called like Sparkle Day or whatever now. I mean, we can't even call it that. We can't call it Christmas because we got, we, we sort of we've lost our way. We got to make it holiday. And we, we, you know, we, in, in school, they, they make it so that you can't even use, I mean, in my kid's school this year, there was a little controversy that unfolded because they didn't want them to use Christmas in their lockers because they didn't want to offend anybody in separation of church and state. And, and it's just, well, it's just silly. I mean, it's a nation that has lost its way. It's a nation that this past week, you might've seen the article that the Department of Veteran Affairs is under scrutiny for reportedly telling veterans and others to not use the words God or Jesus Christ in memorial services at Houston National Cemetery, according to a report in the Houston Chronicle. It says attorneys with the Liberty Institute representing the American Legion Post, uh, Veteran of uh, Foreign Wars, District 4, uh, it says that widespread and consistent practice of discriminating against private religious speech at the cemetery, they, they challenged this. Uh, For example, it says that the cemetery director, Arlene Ocasio, reportedly told National Memorial Ladies volunteers that they could no longer say, God bless you, to mourning families or write, God bless, on condolence cards. Our country has completely lost its way. 
I, I had a letter that I, I think I left at home, but it was a friend of mine as a pastor in Grand Island, Nebraska, which is sort of ironic because it's neither Grand nor an island. It's in the middle of a landlocked state. But in this city called Grand Island, Nebraska, uh, they were asked to speak at, or to do a convocation prayer and got a letter very specifically to tell them, uh, we're glad that you're here and, and to pray, but because of a Supreme Court ruling, we, uh, you cannot use the name God or Jesus or Lord uh, in your prayer. I mean, who are we praying to at that point? What is the purpose? You know what I'm saying? Uh, we, we've completely lost our way. And, and I mean, I could go on and on and on, and you, Darren, please don't. Um, but the point is, is that as a nation, today is a holiday to celebrate our birth, to celebrate the birthday of a nation that was an idea, that was a great idea that God had downloaded to to people. And it isn't that we're superior to other nations. We are a nation that God has created to do specific things and to be specifically. And as a nation, we're doing what has happened to, quite honestly, every other civilization that has been born. Every great nation, whether it's democratic or some sort of a free nation that was born, a, 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 an advanced civilization, sort of follows a pattern. And, and America seems to find herself on that pattern, on that, uh, on that trajectory, even as we speak. And I was reminded as I think about our nation and where we are as we're debating right now whether we're going to up to $14 trillion debt ceiling. Honestly, it's like we just need Dave Ramsey for president, right? I mean, it's like, don't spend it. If we don't have it, we don't spend it. But we're about to up a $14 trillion deal here because of a nation that we just are spending our way into oblivion. And I'm thinking, you think, great, Darren, happy 4th of July to you. But look, there's, there's hope in this. Because as a people, we're not without hope. It just bodes well for us to remember, to look and to learn from history. You know, it's been said that, you know, the stock market on average, uh, the history teaches us the stock market will return to an average of 12%, right, over your lifetime. And, and that's great and good, except for that's not what history teaches us. That's what the last 100 years teaches us. What history teaches us is that great nations rise and fall. And so what does history teach us about America? What does history teach us about us as the church and how we ought to be when we, this July 4th, the celebration of our birthday, as a nation, how do we, what do we learn from this and what do we do about this? And history teaches us in Hosea chapter 13, what can happen to a nation who loses its way. And it says in verse two, this is Hosea who's speaking to the nation of Israel, the northern tribes. It says, and now they sin more and more and they make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images of all the work of craftsmen. And you begin as you read this to see some similarities between our nation and, and where Israel had found herself. It's said of these people that they offer human sacrifice and kiss the calf idols, that they may be more like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. It's interesting because we think, oh, we would never sacrifice humans. But every day, millions across the world, but in our own nation, thousands of babies are aborted. Are, are murdered on behalf of, oh, I can't afford it. 
I can't, this is too much money, it's too much of a trouble. What kind of an idol is that? A God that we would say, this, I can't afford this, this money, I need this money for me, and so I'm, I'm worshiping. And you begin to see that a devaluing of human life, of putting other gods before them, is what Israel had done. The, the idols that they had began to worship in a, instead of it, and admittedly, I don't have anything that I bow down to and that I've carved out of stone or metal, but on occasion, in our houses, do we not all bow down before the TV, <laughs> the media, these things that we begin to worship? Maybe we're not doing om, om kind of worship, but, but when we're giving more time to that than we're giving to, to God and to the people that he has called us to serve, it's a form of, of worship. It's a form of idol worship. And we could go on and on as far as even just the Ten Commandments of taking the name of God in, in vain. That, that, you know, of course, we think of that as you stub your toe and you shouldn't say his name. But it's so much more deep than that. It's taking his name and putting his name and attaching it to, to our agenda and to our deal and then saying this is God as opposed to saying what is God's deal and attaching our name to his thing. In, we were talking about it on the way home last night about band endorsements and do they do any good and, and you know, one of the first things that young bands want you know, as a manager is they want all the free stuff they can get. Right? Bands love free stuff. But an endorsement is you putting your name on their deal and endorsing it, taking your name and propping up their product. And when we take God's name and then endorse our thing with it and prop up and say, this is what God is because I'm endorsing this, we're taking his name and we're taking it in vain. And the, I mean, we obviously we could go down all 10 of these, but you begin to see the nation in the mirror of Israel and see us as a warning. And it says, but I am the Lord, verse four, who brought you out of Egypt. He begins to say, look, you guys are doing all this stupid stuff, but this is what I've done for you. Who brought you out of Egypt. You'll acknowledge no God but me, no savior except me. I cared for you in the desert, in the land of burning heat. And when I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, what it, they became proud. And then, and if you're a Bible underliner, underline it, they forgot me. So I will come like a lion. It begins to talk about the judgment that was going to come on Israel because of what they had done. And he goes on down to say, I will ransom in verse 14 from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? Blowing in from the desert, his spring will fall and his well will dry up and his storehouse will be plundered. By the way, incidentally, if you're a Bible student, if not, I'll wake you up in a minute. But this is fascinating to me because this is, a, I'm going to teach you a, a great Bible study secret. Because that seems to contradict itself. It says that death, where is your victim? You know, you're staying in, in, in the context of it, it's saying like, bring death, bring it on, destroy these people. But how is this? Because he's beginning to talk about the victory that is to come. How does that, it seems like it almost like it contradicts itself. And I won't bore you with the theology names, but here's how, whenever you come across anything in the Bible that seems tricky, that seems to contradict itself, that seems too heavy and too deep, I'm gonna give you a secret, and it's so easy Put Jesus in the middle of it and see what happens. Because in this, when it seems like he's calling for destruction on the people and it seems to contradict that, you know, where is thy sting? And Paul would, would clarify it for us in 2 Corinthians 15 when he uses this verse to talk about Jesus defeating death and defeating, and it was a prophecy, and he said, death, where is thy sting? O grave, put Jesus in the middle of it and see what happens. So that's free, you can do that, what you want. But back to the, back to the birthday of America. It, when you look at this, you see, 
what can happen to a nation when we begin to lose our way. And the reason that I think today is an appropriate day to talk about this is that the Jews were great at one thing, many things, I should say, but great at one thing that's appropriate for today, and that was their holidays, their holy days. They were all about remembering because God knew that you and I have selective retention disorder, okay? It's not been released yet, the studies by Vanderbilt, but selective retention disorder. We only remember what we choose to remember. We have this ability to forget so easily. And so over and over and over again in scripture, he would challenge us to remember. And so when you look at Hosea and think, man, these people were in trouble. When you go to Deuteronomy 8, you can see that this is exactly what God said was going to happen if you didn't remember. And he would set up their holidays as a tool of remembrance. When they do the Passover dinner, if any of you have ever been to a Seder, you know that that dinner of the Passover was all about remembering. They will read the scriptures. They go around the table. The family is together. It's a tool for parents to teach their children to remember. The story of how when they were brought out of Egypt and how God had sent the angel and that they were saved and redeemed and every point of that was a point to remember. They were great at it. And even with that, they still managed to lose their way. But God would put this in place for you and for I as a challenge that maybe not the 4th of July, but for us to remember, to not forget to remember. Shannon will oftentimes say, hey, remind me to do X, Y, and Z. And then about a second later, I'll be like, hey, Shannon, don't forget to do whatever it is. Because I feel like now it's off my list. I've reminded her. I have not forgot to remember. <laughs> but that's our tendency, right, is to forget to remember. It's what God said would happen in Deuteronomy chapter 8 when he was speaking to the people before they went into the promised land. And, and you can write it down and go there later if you, if you choose to. But he says in verse 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. In verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. And he goes on to say, look, don't forget that I did these things. I fed you. I took care of you. And he said in verse 10, when you have eaten and satisfied, in other words, once you're in this land, this is before they're there, but when you get there, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful, if you're an underliner, verse 11, that you don't forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, listen to this, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, it's the description of America, right? We've had all these things, all this prosperity that is uh, that is on all of us. And if you think, man, I am, I tell you, the poorest person in this room, please go with me to Haiti the next time. And you'll see that you are in the top 90% of the wealth in the entire world. He says to uh, the Lord who brought you out uh, of Egypt, go to verse 15. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. They should have remembered, all, you'd think, I'll never forget this. But of course they did. He says, they did all these things for you. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you, that in the end it might go well with you. And you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. 
but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the power and the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is to this day. And listen to this, verse 19, a warning for Israel, a warning for America, a warning for you, and a warning for me. If you ever forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. If you forget. And you think, well, Darren, I forget, I, I forget things all the time. Shannon asked me to do stuff, and I'm like, oh, I totally forgot. This is not that kind of a, a purposeful remembering. This is a, I mean, this is a purposeful remembering. This is putting it in your iPhone. It is planning it out so that you can remember what God has done for you and for I. Because if we forget, and it's not like God is up there with his hammer looking to play a game of giant whack-a-mole. Gotcha. But he says that it's your, when you forget, then these things happen. They're just a natural, you begin to think, I did this all myself. And when we begin to think we did it all ourselves, we begin to become proud and we begin to do dumb stuff. He would say in Jeremiah 1 that it was your own, to Israel, your own backsliding that hunted you down. He would say in Galatians, Paul would say that when you sow seeds of destruction that you will reap, you sow seeds in the flesh, you'll reap destruction. Understanding this, I'm not speaking of an eternal judgment for you and damnation to hell. I'm speaking of consequences for our actions this side of heaven. It's why God hates sin so much because of what it does to you and to I. It breaks us down, it wears us. Is it paid for at the cross? Man, absolutely. We'll stand before him with the grace that he has paid for us, forgiven and righteous. But on this side of heaven, there are consequences for our decisions. And as we begin to wrap this up, I wanna offer you hope. Because our nation, man, we're in trouble. I mean, I don't wanna sound like you know, cataclysmic and all, you know, I don't wanna go conspiracy theory on you. But when we've printed 300% more money than we've ever had in circulation just in the last couple years, there's a potential for some big problems down the road for us. This hyperinflation that you hear about is very, very real, very potential. The only thing that has kept us, you're thinking, great, Darren, now we're going to geopolitical lessons. The only thing that has kept our dollar from spiraling at this point is that it is attached to the, the global currency so that if, if you're in uh, if you're in Venice and you're buying oil in Iraq, you have to convert your dollars to U.S. dollars to purchase this oil. We are attached to that dollar globally right now. And it was done because in 1971, 44 nations, no, I'm sorry, back in 1944, uh, 44 or 45 nations came together and decided we're going to attach our currency to one dollar, the U.S. dollar, because it's backed by the gold standard. We made a deal. We made a Packed with them. And then in 1971, someone bothered to do the math and th realized that, oh crud, we have like five times as many dollars in circulation as we do gold. Well, we'll just forget the treaty then. We'll just forget it. And then in the past 30 years, it's begun to spiral out of control up until that's why when you that's why it's such a big deal when you hear about these stimulus packages and these things that get people kind of riled up. Whatever your political affiliation is, we have printed so much money that if and there is a growing uh, coalition of nations, including China, nations that have power, 
that want to get the U.S. dollar out of the way. I believe the only reason they haven't done it so far is because they're holding so many of our dollars that they don't want to spiral the currency out of control too quickly. So what has China been doing? They've been slowly and systematically buying companies, using the cash, because they're flush with cash, our cash, buying companies, oil companies, coal companies, so that they can begin to, what, what any company that, or what any nation that has you know, a billion people would do, is to be able to have their own natural resources and divesting themselves of US dollars so that if at some moment they have enough power and they get rid of it that they can then detach themselves from the US dollar and we're gonna have trillions of dollars all over the place and what happens whether it was Zimbabwe or Germany or Israel is this thing called hyperinflation where all of a sudden you've printed money and it's worth nothing. There are images from World War II, of, right after World War II, of, of, of German families with wheelbarrows full of cash that they're using for kindling, for wood. In Zimbabwe just a few years ago they had actually run out of paper because their money was so worthless that they actually had to, they've got like trillion dollar bills over there now because their money just spiraled out of control because they just kept printing money. Here's the piece of hope that I want to offer you this morning because we could go on and on and on about our nation in general. Second Chronicles 7.14 says something. It says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, you know, why don't we turn there? It's, that's something you probably should, if you don't have it underlined, if you're not praying this prayer, if you're not, as a people, praying, you should. In verse 14, 2 Chronicles 7. This is Solomon at the coronation of, a, of the temple. And he's saying to his people this. This was a good time in Israel's history. And he would say that if my people who are called by name, my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and this is the one nobody likes, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Again, if my people who are called by my name, God is basically saying, if you do these three, three, four things, I'll do these three things. If you'll humble yourselves, pray, if you'll seek my face, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, you do those four things, then I will hear you, one, from heaven. I will forgive them, two, and three, I will heal their land. Now you might be astute in saying, yeah, but Darren, that's, you know, annotatively is talking, and Solomon talking specifically to the Jews at that time. True, but he's putting a principle in place. How many of you understand that when Jesus showed up, on the scene, it wasn't like God just tagged in a new God, like a, some sort of tag team cosmic wrestling match, that there's a new God. The, the principles, the God of the old covenant is still alive and well, Jehovah. Jesus is God. He's, we can go into that later, but he's saying this is a principle he put in motion. If, if my people, and if you are his people, now here's what it didn't say. If Hollywood will bow and pray, if the president, if Congress, if he said, if my people will humble themselves and pray, if you and I, then I will heal your nation. And here's what I want to put forth for you this morning, and this is the hope. I can't offer you hope as far as America goes. I can't offer you hope as far as any world government goes. I can offer you hope as far as our nation goes, the nation that Peter would talk about in 1 Peter 5, the holy nation. 
First Peter 5. Go with me there, and then we're going to land this thing. Put your seats up, your tray tables back. Stewardesses will be making their ways down the aisles to get your trash. First Peter, I'm sorry. It's right next to it, coincidentally, so that's kind of helpful for you. He is talking, Peter, in the New Testament, saying, if you are, listen, well, I'll just read it to you. You are a chosen people, 5-9. A royal priesthood, a what? Holy nation. If my people will humble themselves and pray, you are God's people. If you will humble themselves and pray, He says, you are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, as a nation, we are a believers, as Christians, we are a nation that exists inside of a nation. Whatever it is, whether it's India or whether it's America, as a nation of believers locked together, we are a nation that exists inside of a nation. I'm in 1 Peter 5. Two. I want to tell you, ahead of, I warned you that I was at the U2 concert last night. I'm, I'm on no sleep. 1 Peter 2. It's like everybody's looking at me like I'm from Neptune, and now I know why. I'm like... <laughs> I'm thinking, they're not, they have no buy-in with what I'm saying. They just don't know where I'm reading. First Peter 2. Wow. I'll give you a 100% refund of the door price that you paid to get in here this morning. See your closest usher, and he will refund your money. But listen, and here's, here's, it, here's it, gang. Here's the bottom line. This is it. He says, live such good lives, verse 12. Listen to this. Among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and boy, is that something we hear every day right now. If you're a Christian, I want you to know something. Katie Kirk thinks you're a whack job, okay? They think that what we do on a daily basis is in the liberal, whether it's liberal media or just in general, a non-believer, they think we're crazy. But listen, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, listen to this, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. In verse 15, I love this passage. I've got an underlined, starred, asterisked, I might even get Shannon's pink highlighter and put that on there. It says, for if God, it is God's will, verse 15, that by doing good, you would silence the talk, the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Listen, that is our weapon. We don't have to go down with bullhorns and signs and yell and scream at people. Let our good deeds silence the talk of ignorant, ignorant talk of foolish men. That's it. When you see these images around, and we don't have all of them out today, but our church desires to be that. To, in this nation, our nation desires to be a nation that is silencing the talk of foolish men with our good deeds. But my word for us this morning, you individually, is this. I don't know what's going to happen with America. I don't know what's going to happen with Zimbabwe. I don't know what's going to happen with Russia. What I do know is what's going to happen with us. That even if our nation, if tomorrow things go wrong, 
We, it could quite possibly be that we're on the precipice of one of the most exciting times in the history of the kingdom of God. Imagine what would happen if the crazy you know, inflation comes. Imagine the amount of people. I mean, we have a flood or a tornado and people are ready to hear about Jesus. They're ready to hear about the gospel. Imagine if as a nation some sort of, and I'm not saying I'm calling for that or praying for that. I mean, honestly, I'm hoping against it. I've got four kids, but my faith tells me that no matter what, and I tell you, if you go to the people of China, if you go to the people of Israel, keeping in mind, Peter wrote this to the early church under the rule of the Roman government, one of the most oppressive and human rights violating regimes of all times, and the church exploded. So I don't know what's gonna happen in our nation, but I know that if it goes bad, your hope is this, we're gonna be all right. It's gonna be just fine. In fact, it'll be more than fine because now we've got 300 million or so people who are gonna be really hungry to hear about something, anything, to talk, is it Jesus? Is this what I've been hearing about? We've gotta be ready for that. And so what I would say to you and to me this morning is what do we do? It's the birthday of our nation. We ought to remember we're God, that it was God that brought us here. God that brought us here collectively and corporately as a nation, but God that brought us here personally and individually as a holy nation. And we ought to be more ready than ever. Whatever God leads you to do in your personal lives, whether it's you know, storing up extra water, or things, I, we let the Lord lead you in those areas. But what we ought to be more than ever is we ought to be in the word. We ought to be more than ever ready to answer, ready to, to respond, ready to be that holy nation that if we have another 200 years as a nation, great. His, history teaches us that sometime it's over for us. History teaches us that the average age of a, an advanced civilization is 200 years. The northern nations of Israel and Hosea were 210 years. We're at 234, give or take. That's average. That means half or longer and half or shorter. We don't know. But we ought to get to the point where it's irrelevant. That's not the point. The point is our nation, and that someday as we move into the kingdom of God, when he brings his kingdom here on earth, which he will, by the way, that our nation will be ready to receive him. And to have the hope that your kids are gonna be okay, what kind of a world did you bring your kids into? An awesome, amazing opportunity for the kingdom. Our kids could grow up in one of the biggest revivals since the church was born. And I tell you what, if you go to some other nations right now, they already are in those types of revivals. We're just, America's just the last one to the, the last one to uh, the party on this. As we worship, just for a little bit longer, and then Ted's got the burgers going, we're going to eat. I would ask that you, where you are, would pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for America. Pray for the body of Christ, the holy nation. And do what Solomon said to do, to repent in those areas where we have been a little out of left field, or we've got our priorities out of line, or maybe we've allowed some idols into our lives, to repent. And some of us men, we've got some things that we've done that we've, we need to turn from our wicked ways. To, to, to go there in your heart and in your spirit as you pray. Knowing that when we do that, that he says, man, I will hear you. And we know this to be true. That our nation, our body of Christ, my people called by my name, you and I, that he will hear us, he will heal our land forgive you, us, 
that we might be ready for whatever it is that God is bringing. I, you talk to other spiritual leaders out there. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if I consider myself that, but there are other guys out there, other women, that there's something going on in the spirit. There's something happening. There's something coming that is big. And we ought to be ready spiritually for it. We ought to be ready practically for it and know that God always preserves a remnant. Let us be a part of that remnant that's ready to receive and to respond and to preach that whatever happens, that we're there for that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would, Lord, for those that, that you would forgive us, that, that we've had idols, that we've had other priorities, that we've devalued some of those things that you've done in us, that we have forgotten. Today we make a decision, God, to remember not to forget, to remember that it was you that brought us here, that it was you that rescued us from our sin, that it was you that brought us out of darkness into the kingdom of light. It is you that has brought us this far. It is you that will carry us home. Today we choose to remember that. We remember that it was you, God, that brought this nation to be. This idea that didn't even exist before this government existed. We remember that. We remember the battles that were fought, the blood that was spilled, the lives that were lost, it brought about our nation as we celebrate its birth. But God, do not let us, do not let me ever forget that we are aliens occupying until you come. You said to pray that the Lord would bring laborers into the harvest. So that the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Today, please bring laborers into the harvest. Let us be part of that, that we would remember that it is you that gave us the power to be who we are. Remember that it is you that will give us the power to be what you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.